It's episode 11, better late than earlier. Now we're back to make your weekend burgier. So spread the news, go tell your courier, it's cold out, so wear something furrier. Nick Fury, sure, you watching Agent Carter? I haven't seen it. Um, the station's harder to find on my TV, and if I'm being frank, bro, I'd rather read a S.H.I.E.L.D. comic by Steranko. Wait for the show to finish up the first season, and hear whether or not it's to your pleasing. If you like it, yeah, I'll probably give it a chance. Yeah, I'm rambling, whatever, you know the dance, a little rhyme off the top, feeling good, certainly. About to have a chat with Mr. Dangerously, the genuine independent rap legend Jesse D. Yes, indeed, he's friends with me, and you are too. I miss you. Did you miss me? We're finally back. Happy 2015. We're Burglar, it's he. And B. Mason is the beat making Mason guy. <laughs> oh, fell off at the end, fell off at the end. But it is the end of the week. Ah, uh, there you go. Sometimes I, su- I surprise myself, gang. Welcome to Weekend at Bergie's. This is the podcast where we hang at my place. I'm Bergie, and we chat about rap and comic books and fun things. We have some laughs. We learn stuff sometimes. And I'm really happy to have you here joining us. Happy New Year. I can say that because last time we spoke, it was a different year. I'm not a different person, though. I'm the same, same Bergie. You, you, you're still stuck with me. But uh, I'm, I'm a good Bergie. <laughs> I'm feeling good. I'm feeling great. Jesse Dangerously is definitely in the building this weekend. If you don't know Jesse, where do I even begin? He's a rapper. He's an old friend of mine. He's a fellow Haligonian. We both grew up loving rap in the same era of Haltown. Oh man, we're going to dig into all that stuff and just get into some history. He is a member of the Backburner crew, which is uh, the team that I'm a part of, for those of you that know Backburner. Our scrappy little force of MCs and producers and DJs that like to make rap records together for you and for ourselves. And we have a new album out. So that's kind of exciting. Jesse and I are going to talk about that. Eclipse is dropping February 28th. The soft release, secret release party at Rancho Relaxo. It's not really secret, but the album is only going to be available there until, uh, I think the end of March is when it officially comes out. But we're going to drop it early. So if you're in Toronto on Saturday, February 28th, you want to come to Rancho Relaxo, 300 College Street. It's going to be a great night. Live performances by myself, Ghetto Socks, Swamp Thing, Jesse Dangerously. There's going to be surprises. We got a couple guests coming through. It's going to be a really fun night. And we're shooting a video. New video. First single from the Backburner album for a song called Bottle Caps. You can put two and two together. Maybe figure out what that's about. But that's going to be a great night. I hope to see you for all our Toronto friends and everybody else. The album will be fully available. You can pre-order it at handsolorecords.com as of March 1st. And then that's going to be dropping officially at the end of March or early April, I believe, is the game plan. The wheels are all in motion and coming together like a giant Lego set of Chima. Did we ever figure out what that was? For those who listened to that episode... I was talking about the Chima Lego and the the hawk and the lizard Lego people. Interesting. It's a brave new world we're living in. (laughs) 
Oh yeah! Hey, did I mention the Ghetto Socks and Thesis Sahib are also in Backburner Crew and there's episodes featuring them as well if you haven't heard them? Go back and get them. I mean, hey, go back and listen to all the episodes. So happy to have you guys joining us anytime. Picking and choosing episodes, some of you may be listening all the way through. I don't know what you do. Maybe you're cleaning your house, maybe you're driving your car, maybe you're walking your dog, going to the bar, going far. Going near, having a coffee or having a beer, whatever you're doing, I hope this podcast brings you some cheer. Hey, that was was just talking, just rambling, excited. I'm having some watermelon tea right now. It's it's, it's delicious. I don't think there's caffeine in it. I'm just just excited to have some nice watermelon tea in winter. That's a flavor I normally associate with the summertime. And if you're enjoying this podcast, why don't you give us a rating on iTunes? I keep forgetting to tell you guys, but you can do that and it will help us a lot. Just click on the stars when you find us in your iTunes menu browser, wherever you're finding us there, and just say something nice about us, because that'd be nice. Speaking of saying something, if you like to say things with emails, you can email us at weekendatbergies at gmail.com. We will be doing a mailbag soon. I'm reading your emails. I'm appreciating them. We will be reading some of them on the podcast. So if you want me to answer something on the live, this pod. Do you say on pod? It's not on air. It's it's on pod. (laughs) You want me to say something on pod? Well, first, you need a giant pod for me to sit on. And then I can say things when I'm on it. But yeah, weekendatburgies at gmail.com. Questions, queries, comic book reviews. The Life After, great comic. Black Science, another great comic. I'm reading a lot of good comics right now. Drifter, gotta shout out Nick Klein. A lot of comics. We're gonna get have, have a lot of comics tackling in, in some coming episodes. You know we will. But those are some, some hot tips for you. Check out those books. Do a little, do a little reading. You know, read something. Look at some pictures. Our sponsor this week is Pat Shafata's Fat Chabattas. You'd be hard-pressed to find a Chabatta as fat as a Chabatta from Pat Shafata's Fat Chabattas. He packs so much crap in one of them Chabattas that when you eat one, you'll say, Now that's a Chabatta. <laughs> he, he makes a fresh batch of Chabatta batter right after he lathers. What? <laughs> Because that's that's what people would rather. <laughs> oh, hi. Hi, guys. I'm doing a podcast now. I guess I should continue with that. I do have a little bit of news I want to share with you right before we get to Jesse. My friends, Alex Kennedy, David Howlett, and myself are doing a comic book. It's called The Last Paper Route. We're working on it now. We've been working on it for a few months. I announced it briefly on the internet a couple weeks ago. You can check it out. We put pictures up online. I have some on my Tumblr page. And the address is wordburglar.tumblr.com. And you can see some pictures of The Last Paper Route drawn by Dave Howlett, Alex Kennedy, my old, old Chum and I are writing it. I'm super excited. Some of you know I was a paper boy. Alex was a paper boy. We had a lot of adventures back in the day. We used to do a comic called Adventures in Paper Rooting when we were just basically tiny 
miniature versions of the people that we are now. And now we're returning to it after all these years. I wrote a rap song and did a video called The Root, which these themes of paper delivery were featured in. You may have heard and or seen something about that. But it's uh, it's a project I'm super excited about. Obviously, I'll be I'll be regaling you with more details in the coming months. I'll try not to spam you about it too much, but I just wanted to make sure you all knew the last paper route will be out this summer. Also, I'm working on new music, and I'll tell you about that when it's ready. Exciting. I'm super pumped. Jesse Dangerously is here. I can't I can't wait. We're going to dive right in. We're going to talk about Halifax. We're going to talk about rap. We're going to talk about the internet and how Jesse was a bit of an mp3.com pioneer back in the day. He's also the guy who brought me into the Backburner crew, introduced me to the rest of the gang. We, we, we've been good friends since we were actually children, which is crazy. And our, our hip-hop origins in Halifax intertwine scavenging for rap in the early 90s, listening to Buck 65's radio show, The Basement, learning how to rap, making beats. We get into all of that. Jesse's very interesting. He's got some hilarious stories, some educational stories, some never-heard-before tales. Never-heard-before tales. Tales that have meat in them. (laughs) Is it never-heard-before or never-before-heard-of tales? Either way, he tells some crazy stories. You're going to love it. I'm going to let Jesse do the talking. Let's just get into it here on the weekend. The one and only incomparable Jesse Dangerously. me to everybody else in the crew and i mean i put my reputation on the line i took my hat in my hand and i was like look there's this kid you gotta see him play uh he works at the comic store we used to play baseball when we were literally children and uh, he's got a couple raps he's got this guy also who makes beats because you you were the beat mason liaison he was just you were like a little jazzy jeff fresh prince duo uh <laughs> with working on a couple songs they were like well if you need a place to record those raps instead of maybe through the headphones going into the speaker input on your uh, your home boombox or karaoke machine. Why not come down to the? It wasn't the kill zone then. It was just back burners. I don't know. The basement on Shabucto Lane uh, in Halifax. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and meet these other rappers. And those were good times because you and I. We'll, we'll, I want to get to that back burner stuff. I wanted to just explain, like, because our relationship was backburner crew members, lovers of rap. Mm. We go back to baseball, and I mean, you know, it's like you know, I see you. It's like you're, you know, just Jesse, man. You have, you know, you're the exact same. I remember you from when we were babies, really. Like <laughs> developed playing... <laughs> a bit. You even had the beard back then, you know. Uh, playing at Conroe's baseball field mm-hmm. back in Halifax, a million years ago. I was quite bad. I was not an athlete, and that was clear. But uh, they would just stick me out in the outfield, and I would read a book. I would like sit down. I'd be like, I, I'm clearly not in this game. No, like, we're 11. Nobody can hit the ball over here anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's that, oh, there's that one kid who's like, is that kid really 11? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, hitting, hitting it out of the park every time. That's your friend's brother, I think. It is, yeah. What happened to that guy? <laughs> 
so baseball and then I mean I I love I love baseball and I I played it for a long time and and I loved rap and you loved rap and we were both big fans of the basement on yeah. CKDU Halifax and, yeah and we would uh they had the shout out segment yeah, yeah, every yeah. week and we uh I like the thing I don't know what it was from your side but in my opinion we had a hotly contested rivalry <laughs> for how, who was shouting out the most homies <laughs> yeah like cuz this must have irritated these you know, cooler. <laughs> Let's explain what the basement is really. What yeah. what was the basement show? It was a weekly uh, hip hop show. Um, with the host DJ Critical, who's now best known as Buck Sixty Five or Richard Fry on CBC's Drive Program. Yeah, Buck Sixty Five's early days. And back then, he was a didactic, like hip hop purist and educator. And we were learning, like we were learning from the, the most dedicated scholar of rap. And we would listen every week, and we're like between the ages of 12 and 15. And, uh, and it was like a hub for the local hip-hop community also, like, um, which hadn't yet schismed into so many different sub-crews. And, um, and so there were all these shout-outs. People call in, just like on, like if you listen to like, you know, Malcolm McLaren and the World Famous Supreme Team, Buffalo Gals, like you listen to the World Famous Supreme Team and they're all getting all those shout-outs. They were like, well, we're going to do shout-outs. And we'd hear all these people with colorful nicknames getting shouted out in between these glorious rap songs that were changing our lives. So it was like, well, who has the most, the biggest crew? Who's got like the most outlandish names in the drag society? <laughs> Sean's, uh, Sean's crew had a name, first of all. My uh, crew that I was shouting out, I'm going to come clean. These were just like kids in my grade seven class who I could sometimes convince to listen to rap. I'd be like, this one's funny. Try it out. Oh, do you like rock and roll? This one has a guitar sample. And like, well, I'll make you up a nickname. I'm going to shout you out on the radio. Whereas I think you had more rap. That's, yeah, definitely all the dregs. And we'd all listen. And I I don't know who I first heard about the show from. I feel like it was my, my buddy Dan Bain, actually. I, think I, know, he, I know for sure that Tom Trasoni told me. Yeah, Tom Trasoni knew about it. And Tom, I don't know if Tom told me first or Dan Bain. And one of them was like, oh, there's this rap show. You should check it out on, mm -hmm. on CKDU. And we listened to it. And then we all listened to it. And yeah, like... All of our friends and, and crew, and yeah, we all we had, everybody came up with their names, and you get the shout outs, and people would call up every night because it was, let's you know, we said it a million times, but before the internet, you couldn't have access to hip hop, especially in in smaller cities like yeah. we were in Halifax, or if you were in a small town, like your exposure to any kind of rap was probably limited to something like Rap City on Much Music mm -hmm. or the odd rap pop song that might make it to the radio yeah but, but even, college radio was where it was at and you could tape those like i would tape the full episode of <laughs> the basement and then like oh my god i just got 10 new amazing 12 inch singles like i had fuel for my for my walkman i'd buy yeah. tapes like i would spend money from my paper route to buy blank tapes so that i could tape more episodes of the show it was a two-hour show and i had these 90 minute tapes i had to be so judicious like oh i've already got this song i'm gonna pause it um, and make sure that I only got the freshest, newest stuff because the tapes were finite. But exactly. Yeah, sort of I mean, now you can just show I like that thing. song. Let me search it on YouTube. And, and that's yeah. great, too. The access oh, yeah. is incredible. But I make when we were sure. starving for stuff and you knew everything, there's single. like a finite amount of rap to know. Like, <laughs> yeah. you're just still starving for it. Well, I, well, I know it all now. It's 1993. And um, Did you call yourself like Jesse Fats or something? Was fat, fat, I had. Um, in my pre-internet but already uh, debilitating nerd days, I called these <laughs> local bulletin boards, and I had chosen as my user handle on the uh, the regional BBSs that I had to dial up on my my modem. Uh, I chose the name Fat Boy with a PH because, and it was lifted directly from this T-shirt that I'd found at a mall. 
in uh, Dartmouth. <laughs> what, Penhorn? Micmac? Uh, it was probably... <laughs> <laughs> Penhorn was like Penhorn. the other mall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> alternative mall. Um, that was the shitty mall. Just like seeing it from like across the mall, I was like, "Wait, that's the word fat with a ph." Like it's not in my size, um, but it's made by it's made by Boy London, just fat boy. And I was like, "This is the only piece of hip hop clothing I've ever seen in my life." The closest other hip hop piece of clothing I had, and this is like age like eleven, twelve, is that I uh, I found a Speed Racer T-shirt that was the same shirt. Uh, Fresh Prince wore in the summertime video. It's like, okay, to me, this is a rap shirt. <laughs> After just like, uh, so so Fat Boy was, and I was like, well, it's my only nickname. So that's gonna be rap, my rap name. My first first rap name when I was uh, first heard that rap existed, I was like, well, I guess I got to do it now. Was MC Donald. <laughs> that's built right into my my natural born. Because your last name is McDonald. McDonald for, for the people. Now that's a that's a truth bomb that we just. And like. uh, of course, my current uh, my current rap name is based on my social insurance number, which is one two, and <laughs> what so forth. Well, Jesse Dangerously was inspired from Johnny Dangerously, the Michael Keaton movie. It is, and like, I've, yeah, I changed to that when I started. Actually, it was in the middle of making my first cassette tape, so that's attributed to like Jesse Fats Dangerously. It's um, <laughs> very catchy. That's why my mom called me to this day. Um, and I don't know, like, I, it's, it's a pretty funny movie, but it's definitely not something I've patterned my life after in any particular <laughs> I've still way. never seen it, actually. I, you should uh, screen it. I mean, I recommend it. Yeah, <laughs> at my next birthday. Um, <laughs> I have a simulcast. We can all, we can all watch it on Skype I'll watch together. it. I'll check it out, yeah. But it's, uh, I liked, at that moment, I liked having my real name. Um, it's funny. I, I didn't have a tape out, but I was already tired. Oh, this nickname. Nobody knows the real me. So I was like, I'll have my real first name, and then I liked the adverb last name, and I wasn't, uh, I just didn't, I wasn't thinking that hard about it, sort of in the spirit of like, like I wasn't forward thinking, like this is the beginning of my rap career, I was like, this is fun, and I had a, you know, I got a four track from being in a band, and I used to play the drums a lot, and uh, Yeshi 13, right? That was your that band? That was the name of our band, yeah. nice one. I got memories, yo. <laughs> I get all remembering. So Break yeah, keep, sorry, keep going. So you, um, so yeah, I just started like as soon as I sort of figured out how to make beats, you know, in a sort of a kludgy and off kilter way, and tried to like teach myself how to rap. I was like, I was so in awe of people who were putting out tapes locally, um, and so excited to realize this is something that you can just do. That I just did it with no strategy. So like, I'm not. It's not a cool name, really. Like, I don't think it's a horrible name. I just people with worse rap names <laughs> i don't want to put on blast or anything but uh oh i could rattle off a few for sure, sure. We, could, we could just do this whole podcast yeah. just to listen i just really believe in our dark blowjob <laughs> but yeah so, so jesse just, dangerously you put out the tape mm-hmm. and like you say that you saw other people doing tapes and you wanted and it was the coolest thing and you could do it and we had access to that and that's yeah. I, I mean I started the same way just I can make my own tape at home I don't need anything and the, sure the quality isn't that good you don't have much of a plan you don't yeah. writing there's no, maybe no structure there's no I'm just gonna rap the beats we didn't know or about counting bars yeah. <laughs> like I was lucky enough to have figured out that couplets existed and so many of our peers who are super talented like I just still reject like a bar what is that I just say words until I'm done and uh yeah i can remember when we were first work started working on raps together and we were mm-hmm. both like okay i'm writing and you're writing and I, I went to your place on oh um brunswick brunswick yeah and you had the yeah. the impulse tracker making impulse tracker <laughs> beats 
And I think I brought over my rhyme book and was kind of bouncing. We were bouncing rhymes off each other. Yeah. And we were both like, oh, this is how you write it. And this is, oh, this is how you write a line. Like, what do you mean by a line? It's like, yeah. well, counting a bar for people listening, if you don't know, like one bar in, I guess, musical structure equates to also a bar in lyric structure for, right. for raps. I mean, everyone usually, has different ideas. It's usually ideas. four beats in a standard. Four beats, yeah. And it, it'll have like, That's about a bar. Yeah. Standard. But yeah, there's exchange rates between different... Uh, when Backburner first had a tour, like before we, the Halifax contingent knew the Toolshed guys, I'm probably telling you something you already know, but this is for public consumption. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we all met up in London, Ontario, midway through tour, and we're like, okay, let's do some big posse cuts. So we, everybody go away and write, you know, 12 bars. And people came back with half as much and twice as much. It was like... Well, a bar, that's a rhyming part. No, that's a couplet. How many lines is it? And like, people just had wildly different understandings. <laughs> so when you put out your first tape, it was a solo tape. What was a song? Like, what? Give me a track listing. Like, you remember okay, any see. tracks? Uh, uh, my painfully <laughs> clever titles. There was a um, F, F Stop Fitzgerald was the first name, which is F Stop like a camera has, and the F Scott Fitzgerald which had nothing to do with the lyric. I think I mentioned a photograph in the first line, and I was like, I'm going to really blow some minds here. That's a good title, though. Thank you. F-stop. Yeah. Maybe I'll use it again. That tapes out of sir. This one is actually about Yeah, no one's heard it. I, I've done that. I was like, no one heard this rhyme. This is a good rhyme. I need to get it out. You can always people. just paint it like when Jizza had like the fake track list on the back of Liquid Swords. There's like four songs that aren't really there. And then they come out on like you know a Gravediggers album and a Killer Army album, and it's like, Hey, were you just recycling those ideas, or was this a plan? I never noticed that. Jizza put out... On the back of Liquid Swords, I don't know if it was corrected in subsequent I had reissues. the tape of it, actually. Ooh, well, I had the CD. I don't yeah. know. Maybe we yeah. can compare notes. I don't like, even remember. But the CD yeah. lists the tracks out of order. There's no numbers. And there's three song titles that don't appear. It's like arranged as a big paragraph, like this really cornily put together like yeah sentence. it was artwork i believe the artwork was by one of the artists who did um milestone comics at the time icon in them or was that a different milestone their biggest character was static who is now static yeah. shock who has been incorporated into the, the dc universe DC? yeah yeah see it always comes back to comics no matter <laughs> how hard i try yeah, i don't same, try it all. in it's a comic fun. book culture so the Jizza, Jizza yeah. Genius Wu Tang solo album. Yeah, Liquid Swords just it had this um, uh, this confusing track listing where everything was out of order and a few of the songs didn't correlate to any song on the album. And then those song titles showed up on like the second Grave Diggers album and I think like some real like Wu Tang like Z listers. Um, yeah, the second Grave Diggers album. That's a that's a rare one. Also, the third is it the third one where Two Poetics on his. He's dying and he's rapping about dying. That's Nightmare pretty intense. In, yeah. It's Nightmare in A minor. And then a lot of those songs are just repackaged on a fourth grave Diggers album that Fruquan put together when nobody <laughs> was willing to be in a group with him anymore for whatever reason. Yeah. Was that, no, that wasn't too poetic. Was he on the, he didn't make it to the fourth one. No, but this, yeah. it's like some of the same songs. Yeah. Yeah. That stuff is very touching. And too poetic is such an important overlooked rapper. It's not, like I, I, he's a big influence on me. I would guess on you, like yeah, oh yeah, because he's so expressive, and uh, and you know nobody knows who the hell is on there. It's amazing how that record sounds. They really introduced a consistent cadence between all of them that sounds freestyled, but they're all very intricate. 
Well, they're mostly very intricate lyrics. Riz is super intricate on that. That's maybe his best writing. I think it's, yeah, Riz uh, Consistently, yeah. like for a whole album. And like Two Poetics, all of, like Fruquan's a little bit more of a blunt force. Uh, fewer like multi-syllables and stuff. But all of them do this little start-stop rhythm. It makes, uh, and it helps things like land with extra emphasis. And I don't know, just what a clever writing. Well, I wonder if they had more group focus. Like with the first Woo album, Rizza got everybody together. He said, look, yeah. stick with me. We're going to do this Chinese monk thing, <laughs> Kung, old Kung Fu movies. Just go with this and it, we're going to make it work. I feel like, and then it just, it got a little looser, obviously, as future releases went. And uh, I have to be honest that the newest Wu-Tang album, I was very disappointed. In. I haven't heard it. I'm staving off the feeling yeah. of disappointment. Every so often, I like you know they put something out, and I think this is not going to be good because I I didn't like Eight Diagrams really at all. But then there's stuff they've done since then. Um, sometimes with like you know they'll work with a band and they'll chop it up like samples, and some of that sounds really hard and good. I, I know El Michelle's Fair is one band they work with, but there's another band. There's uh, just a lot of weird singing. Rick Rubin co-produced one of the tracks. Really, RZA, Rick Rubin, and I just yeah. it wasn't doing it for me. They, you know what? These they can still rap, mm-hmm. but I don't think the production's there. I mean, not not to dwell on Wu Tang because sure. we could probably go on about well, that. Just for like a while, comics, but, it comes into everything. Yeah, I, I love Wu. I mean, they're the more I think about it, a lot of that Wu Tang stuff. I mean, I was right. You're saying like we were preteens almost, really, when when Wu Tang dropped. I remember hearing 36 Chambers. I was like, wow. I mean, prior to that, I was I had Public Enemy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Young MC, Fresh Prince, Run DMC, sure. all, all that stuff. But yeah, then Wu-Tang and Nas, like that, that 92, 93, and then Mass Ace, of course, the, that was all like... It was so serious and thoughtful, which was kind of a contrast. Like, there was serious and thoughtful rap before that, even like as album tracks on some of the tapes we would have had. Um, you know, like Naughty by Nature has serious songs on the first album, even though like OPP's the big single. Uh, but like, it sort of like taught me how to like critically hear like these ideas, that, and like it opened me up to so much. Like, I would be a much <laughs> not, not to say I'm so great, but like I would be a much worse person if like the hip hop of the early '90s hadn't given me things to think about. Yeah, help me see other perspectives. Absolutely. That was another pre-internet thing too. It's like there's all these obscured faces in the liner notes, and like we're trying to figure out, okay, wait, who's rapping now? Is that Inspector Deck or is that well, you? God can't just be on this two, this one song, and like we all had to like talk to each other, like people who were like, did you hear this? Who is that? And there's exactly. like no message board for it, and some of them sounded kind of the same because yeah, they had the Staten songs. Island accent. You're like, eh, I don't know who's that, and then yeah. guys really stood out. But I mean, on that first record, you know, you got to know Method Man because they had the sure. Method Man song and. Everyone else, you're like, oh, this guy's kind of crazy. And ghost face killer, yeah. you know. That, that was like ODB saying it. I yeah, think it, uh, setting him up. Old Dirty Bastard, like his delivery was so. I mean, they made so much out of the idea. There's no father to his style, and I think it was like an evolution of like the Bismarcky, like off the wall, slurred words, and like uh, you know, like cracking his voice and stuff. But it was so arresting and like. And the contrast between the different rappers. And then we really studied that when we were doing the first Backburner album. Not that there's quite as much contrast between all of us as between different members of Wu-Tang Clan, but like, yeah, we studied that album to see, like, well, what can we get away with doing? How can we mix things up? Mix and match everybody and see yeah. where it goes, what beats. And, you yeah. know, we all got to work on different kind of stuff that we might not normally work on and see styles influencing each other and just mm. having fun and and when we get together on the backburn album it is more just like how are we going to make this posse cut cohesive and get together it's like okay we're going this way we're going we're doing this and 
It's a social yep. phenomenon. Each posse cut is kind of like a little dinner party, you know, like the good, the good host. <laughs> I love that to, comparison. As to consider, like, well, if we're inviting the burglars, then we're going to have to sit them next to <laughs> next to the hardcores, <laughs> and maybe we can bring up the topic um, <laughs> of uh, school wages. Or, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> should kids be pl- paid to go to school? And um, <laughs> just can you speak about that from? Oh, do you remember the uh, the ghetto socks from uh, Mrs. Berkowitz's funeral <laughs> last Monday? Uh, and just have to have a little mixer, you know. Um, and, uh, of course, Berg brings the poppin' chips. Always. And, like, the character of a given dinner party is going to hinge completely on who's invited, who crashes it, and, uh, you know, what you're eating. Yeah. And which yeah. I think is going to be the beat in this incredible metaphor I've just spun out of uh, hay. I like that. The dinner party. <laughs> that's what we should call the, the next album. Next one, yeah. Backburner. Dinner party. We can have, like, a big <laughs> plate that's where the, the, the sun is on the first album. Perfect. Let's let's All take right, it. We'll take it, it to the it. consensus. We'll take it to the table and see see what things. And with so many different personalities and heads in it, and you know, Timmy Tim's coming on. And we're going to be talking about you know the album because with definitely with the newest album, he's spearheading so much. Like yeah. he's the executive producer, yeah. and so much on Heatwave as well. Heatwave, there's some funny funny stories. I want to. We have a song called Heatwave for people listening. Mm. There is a video for it, and Jesse has a line about uh, what with, with the heat, the rock, the rock, and the sandal steeds. <laughs> because um, I know what it's what where it? that originated from. Yeah, um, I'm a that's check. I'm about to win in one turn, lamping on a rock with my skin all sunburned. Yowch! <laughs> with my skin, and that is based on that tour. Yeah. Because didn't you go out to some? You were on the rock, and you didn't you didn't put on sunscreen. There's kids at home. Don't forget your sunscreen. Don't be like Jesse D. Forget it. You're like a big kid, man. It's like Jesse. Did you put on your sun? I don't need my sun lotion. (laughs) And then, ouch! You look like Jesse lobsterously. Oh my god! You didn't even see how bad it got after. Yeah. So in. Nova Scotia in September. It should no, I think it was been. July, wasn't it? It was the it was we were, or August. Did we were on we tour. It was two thousand nine, maybe. Let's the tour. put the difference. It's okay. August. It's okay. August ish. Um, <laughs> yeah, and my friend uh, Jordan was like, "Let's go swimming." We went out to this um, lake. I don't know what it was, but there was this nice big flat rock out in the middle of the lake, and we just sat and talked in the middle of the afternoon for hours. And she had sunscreen. She offered me sunscreen. I was like, I don't really do sunscreen. Like a political thing. <laughs> Actually, there's this line that haunts me in this. Uh, you know why, uh, Yoni Wolf? He's got this line on his most recent album. I don't wear rubbers and I don't wear sunscreen. I want to eat my hide, not hide under something. And I hear that and I'm like, okay, that's disgusting. <laughs> but it's unsafe. Basically. It's unsafe. I'm, basically, the you, safety, my safety radar goes oh, off. Jesse's safety. <laughs> um, I'm like, Jesse, well, not what, safety. <laughs> When he makes that comparison, I'm like, yeah, maybe I should have been a bit smarter with my friggin' body. And I got this burn. And, like, you know how burns, like, they get worse over time. Like, it's just a little uncomfortable. You got to put aloe vera on it, kids at home. Again, aloe vera. And, and then the next the next day, like, I'm staying with my parents, and I've got to go to the studio. And I'm like, I can barely put a shirt on. I can barely shout. I'm like, this hurts. And, like, we recorded a bit at the vault. Uh, for the album and like I'm the Vault Beat Mason's recording studio where yeah, we did I'm a lot of recording for that album yeah. about my pain and, and people what? like oh Jesse but then like after we finished in Halifax we drove back to Ontario like uh, Toolshed and you you were still driving with us back, yeah, yeah. You, yeah 
So, uh, and I went, I went to the doctor just before we left, and it had to be a walk-in. Obviously, I don't have a family doctor in Halifax anymore. And this guy, I wish I could remember his name. The doctor asked me to take my shirt off, and his face just went like ghost white. Uh, and he said, "What have you done?" Jesse, dangerously. How many times have I said that to you? <laughs> Like what have on, you done? I just he, log onto the internet. Jesse Dangerously, what have you It's done? like he walked in on me just finishing strangling somebody. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> it had this air of like, there must have been another way. What have you done? And I, I, I had, it was full Freddy Krueger, like for weeks after. Oh, I lost, and my, um, my body has changed. Like I never had freckles before, but I've got freckles on my shoulders now where the skin was replaced. And I'm like, that's just like, I'm going to have cancer there someday, probably. No positive, you know, oh, man. The wear sunscreen. All the rhymes come from real places. So. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> I mean, you know that, you know the Twitter hashtag, uh, terrifying if literal? And they'll be like, I don't know, my sandwich was as big as a house or something funnier than that. Uh, like, just, just bear in mind when you listen to like a Swamp Thing record, that's all true. It's all true. <laughs> Anything that they say they did. Speaking of hashtags, you were involved in a very famous hashtag for about a week there, Where's Jesse? That one blew up. <laughs> it's, still, it's funny how anybody looking for somebody named Jesse will use the Where's Jesse hashtag. I don't think people know how hashtags work. It's like, well, I just want to know where anybody named Jesse has been in the last two years. Just click on it. Well, we were all in, I'll explain for the listeners at home, we were in Austin, Texas for uh, the South by Southwest Festival. And there was a whole bunch of us, Backburner crew, there's, and then just of all of our friends. friends. And yeah, just a bunch of different people. Some real rappers. And there was sort of a, a loose schedule because we, we all had a bunch of gigs. I think we at least, each of us had two or three gigs mm -hmm. and we were all trying to go to each other's gigs different and we were, yeah, different combos where some of us were playing together. Some of us were, were, you know, helping other artists out. And, and of course we're in a strange city where none of us yeah. live. So we're, we're trying to eat good. Yeah. We're trying, we're trying to, to eat good. We're trying meals. to keep the group together. We, you know, there were only a couple cars and Jesse dangerously just was, we just couldn't find you half the time. You were supposed to be somewhere. We couldn't find you. We were waiting. There were so many situations where I think I was, I was standing outside the the convention center where we were all meet and we were all supposed to meet one morning, and everyone's like, "Okay, well, let's get going." Well, wait, where's Jesse? Where's Jesse? <laughs> then we were we were supposed to go get lunch. Where's Jesse? Where's Jesse? Then our our ride was leaving to go to. I think we were playing a show at the university, <laughs> and we were just sitting around. Well, we have to pick uh, we have to pick Jesse up here, and we show up. Where's Jesse? Where, so it just became this thing. And then we started hashtag. And I, like, guy, like MC Frontalot started tweeting, like, where's Jesse? And it just, because what, what is it, Jesse? You're just a big kid and you just. I just like to preserve that air of mystery. <laughs> you know, if people don't see me coming because I never, I never arrive. One way to keep them guessing. Honestly, I mean, I'm very, I've always been. Do you really, not believe in time? This scheduling. Is, this is like a surprise, a surprise serious answer is that my ADHD makes it very difficult for me to perceive the passage of time. And uh, it's something I just need to learn, like need to cope with. And I, I didn't even know I had it until I was 30. So I'm, I, I am a lot like a kid learning about time <laughs> in that like I don't have any instinctive awareness. This is going to sound ridiculous. I don't have no, any no, instinctive no. awareness of the fact that when you leave to go somewhere is not the same time as when you arrive there. <laughs> So okay. like any time, like emotionally, I just believe that I just need to leave 
before I need to be like at the moment I need to be there and it's going to work out. That's if I'm half an hour away, if I'm 10 minutes away, if I need to like, you know, get on a plane. Uh, it's, so it's been a learning process. And, uh, and sometimes that leads me into uh, just periods of irresponsibility. And I, I think, you know, everybody, everybody's fine. Everybody, they'll be okay. They'll, I'll, I'll pop up here and there. They'll get their little fill of Jesse. And but just, then we worry because I know. we think, what's Jesse going to do? Jesse's not going to have a ride. Jesse's going to be stranded somewhere in Texas, <laughs> sleeping in a bench. Did you You're sleep wrong. in a park or something or no? Uh, there was one time I went to a... <laughs> I, just, I just, because I worry about you. I Look, I'm concerned with safety here. And then I'm like, why am I the one? You, I'm just like, I don't get this. But well, you're so let's maternal, just Sean. You personally, are, are like you're the you're the word coddler. You're uh, you're every you're the mummy of the group. Oh, and like I, I, I guess that's a compliment, it, but I you don't. know it is. You know it's your so your enormous heart. Oh. You always want to make sure everybody's okay. Deep and down, I'm a brony. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna change my rap name to Action Brony. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> Not at all. It's an Action Brony. JK, JK. Love the bronies, so sure. But yeah, still no, anyway. Sure they're rap. <laughs> um, yeah, and I like everybody. That's the thing. That's the thing that I guess I need to remember is that people care. It's not just oh, Jesse didn't show up. I guess he's doing something. It's like is he hurt somewhere? Has he you know? Has he run? Has he starved? Is he choking? So, like find Jesse and um, but I also because I also would go to Texas with like the worst infrastructure i'm like i'm not getting an american data plan i can't text anybody um so i just like show up when i show up and i don't you know so i'm not on time and i'm a mess i'm a mess but i am a lovable mess <laughs> messy dangerously oh i've never heard that i mean before. but you forget there's some story that we, everyone knows because you forgot your winter coat one day and you showed <laughs> did you show up in like a t-shirt in the middle of a blizzard in ottawa i hopped out of the car i was in because i was like oh Tim and, and Socks are playing here. I'm just going to go to this. Bye. Um, this is Ottawa in the winter, which is one of the coldest places. Dead of winter. Yeah. It was really taking my life in my hands. Uh, and I also like showed up like, like it was like sound check. Like I couldn't just stay there either. They were like, <laughs> what are you going to do, buddy? Um, so you what? left your jacket at someone's house? You didn't think it's cold out? I, was, it's I think I went to a movie with friends and we were driving, so I didn't take a jacket. I was like, you're just in the... It was a short walk. And then when we left, I was like, oh, we're going right by the venue. I'm just going to hop out here. I don't need a coat. I'm at the venue. Nothing's happening later. I don't think, I think I'll sleep at the venue or something. I don't know what until it's spring. <laughs> this is like a good place to hibernate. Um, yeah, I made a mistake, Sean. No, it's, I, you know, it's, again, it's out of love that I bug you, but that's why we worry. When we can't find Jesse, we're thinking he's sunburned on a rock or he's freezing to death in an alley in Ottawa. In 2006, I played... Um, Did you forget shoes or something? You're walking around barefoot. <laughs> the stories are no, getting that's, exaggerated. That's never happened. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, played, I played the um, East Coast Music Awards in uh, Prince Edward Island in Charlottetown. Um, I had the gig booked, but I wasn't with anybody, so I bummed a ride with uh, Stephen Cook, music journalist in Halifax. He knew how to get me there, and I didn't have a place to stay at all. I was going to have to be overnight to get the ride back, and but I just ran into some cool local music people, hung out at their place for hours, and they were like, dude, you can totally crash here. Just come back after your show. Like, this is 
perfect. This is all, everything's coming up, Millhouse. I'm going to be back here and, uh, you know, just jeers to all the people who thought that I wasn't going to be fine. I go and I play the show, and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to head back. All the streets look the same. I did not pay attention to the number, the street name, nothing. None of that stayed in my head. I walked up and down all these identical Charlottetown streets, and I was like, I'm just going to maybe head back to the convention center. The convention center, which was still kind of open at like three in the morning. I found a closed uh, for repairs washroom, and I slept in the washroom stall uh, until it was light out, until I could go find, try to find the people I was going to. I think I actually wound up having to get a bus. Or something. Oh. But, but, I've yeah. never heard that. You never told me that story. That's yeah, I crazy. Wasn't, I wasn't a smartphone owner at the time. <laughs> I, uh, in PEI, in PEI, let's be honest, Charlottetown is one of the smallest cities you could get lost in. <laughs> <laughs> I just got lost at this guy's house. Yeah, it's like, not like you're in New York or something. <laughs> <laughs> Charlottetown, there's what, three streets there? I was just there. Thanks for calling me. Like, on I'm that. sorry. No, it's perfect. I love Charlottetown. No, definitely. I, it's bigger than three streets. Three oh, you slept in the bathroom in, the in, a, in an out of service bathroom. So, well, yeah, did you just have to hold it in. <laughs> <laughs> you woke up in the middle of the night. Oh, at least I'm in a bathroom. Don't. Oh, it's out of service. Oh, Jesse. My, Jesse. My Yelp review for that hotel is through the roof, though. Very high. Oh, wow. Well, that's. So, gigging, do you remember your first gig? Um, it, uh, I guess my first real gig, like I was in rock camp and stuff, and it, there's a little bit of like, is this a real show because you're tweens and somebody just let you play somewhere. Um, my first gig, not rapping, was at a rave that my friend put on for his birthday. My friend's now known as the Sunshine Kid or DJ Sunshine Kid. No, Zen Zero is what he DJs at now. He's out in the West Coast. Uh, we grew up in Halifax together, and he wanted to have a rave more than anything. Uh, and he was like, sure, your indie rock jazz band that you play drums in can open at my rave. And uh, it was at the Pavilion. This was Yeshi 13? Yeah, I don't even know if we had a name Who yet. Who was in Yeshi? Was Genie in Yeshi? Genie was in Yeshi, who's now in Curse of the Woods. Yeah. Curse in the Woods, which is incredible. The new album is Google Curse in the Woods and watch the new single where Genie gets scarified while she sings. Cool. It's nuts. Um, and uh, Andy March, who runs now Youth Club Records, and anyway, they've had illustrious careers since. Uh, yeah, I remember Jeannie had a great voice, and she still does. Yeah, yeah, so, even yeah. even better. I've got to, uh, yeah, I've got to check that out. Curse in the Woods. Curse in the Woods, and uh, so and at, so your at, first gig was we were playing like Portishead covers and like jazz standards, and uh, but I didn't get to rap until uh, yeah. me and Ginzu had made the Sentinels album, Bike Shop. Was it at the bike shop? We did. We had wrapped at the bike shop, but that wasn't our first first. Gig. Okay, I think that's when I first saw you. But cool. sorry, keep going. Um, was at the Kyber Club. Uh, we had an album release for our cassette tape, Lying City, Sentinels. It's like, yeah, tell us about the Sentinels. Let's. It was two Dartmouth, uh, Dartmouth boys <laughs> and myself. Uh, the artist now known as Ginzu uh, Three or Ginzu and Triplicate. Backburner member. You can hear him on Heat Wave yeah. and uh, and. Eclipse, the upcoming. Yeah, and this is prior to Backburner. Um, when like we met on those local BBS like dial-up modem things, uh, we both made music using the software that I eventually uh, tried to start making rap beats on, uh, Impulse Tracker and Scream Tracker. And uh, I love the Impulse Tracker. I want to talk about that too. But let's cool. stay on. Let's stay on this. Yeah. So we both had trying to make those beats in common. We both like we just it's Nova Scotia. Like the 
having friends who like rap at all was like really rare in the early it was 90s. yeah and uh and so we went to different high schools but we would bus take the number 10 bus uh and just i'd bring my four track to his house and we'd go through records and make beats and um and he had this one other friend in school who we thought was good enough a good enough rapper to like be in a group with us oh and also they they briefly had inducted um dj looney tunes to be our he was our official dj but we only played one show together i think he maybe had better stuff on the go but he was really <laughs> nice um so yeah, yeah he's a cool we, guy he's still still doing a lot of stuff in oh, halifax yeah, yeah he stuff. was like the mixtape king of halifax there were yeah. like 20 something volumes of looney tunes yeah yeah mixtapes um that would be down at, like, so who's the other guy then it was you and ginsu oh, and uh savage poetic savage AKA poetic naked yes. J. yes and uh i and he haven't never seen did, him in years yeah he lives in tokyo now ginsu lives in osaka that's uh two-thirds of my my starting off rap group are all in japan um shout out them shout out japan so gotta much get out there out soon them. yeah and uh, they, so we were, yeah, we worked on the record in the, the Garage Mahal, which is the, 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 my parents' garage. What a great name. Uh, I, yeah, if anybody ever steals that, I'm going to kill them. I just, <laughs> one of the most important things I've ever come up with creatively is the name Garage Mahal. But so, the, yeah, so the Sentinels, um, it was right after I did my solo tape, but it was better to have more hands involved. You know, like we split production duties, me and Ginzu. And um, we only made, we made 20 cassette copies and 25 CD copies because we knew somebody who had a, access to a CD burner. Like commercial CD burning was still out of our reach and home CD burning was just becoming accessible in like 1998, I guess. And, uh, and it got us a little bit of notoriety. Like I didn't even, I didn't notice it happening until, you know, a couple years later, oh, you guys had that Sentinel step. Because there were only like two places to sell your local music, like Sam the Record Man on Barrington Street and like CD Plus or whatever it wound up. Or your Urban Sound Exchange, of course. Uh, yeah, I bought, I bought my copy of Sentinels at, at Sam the Record Man. That was oh, a so great store. One of my favorite record stores in Canada. Yeah. Know, I was so lucky that three I levels to work there for a few months, like right before they closed. Yeah. And one day we just showed up. It's and a shame. Barrington, uh, yeah. I mean, you know what? Taz is, is set up there and Obsolete Records on Agricola. There's, yeah. there's great music stores in Halifax. I didn't get to the new Taz location last time I was in town. It's nice. It's, yeah, it's quite nice. They, they, you know what? They carry our stuff. If you're in yeah. Halley, definitely. And yeah, and Obsolete's good. And uh, Black yeah. Buffalo I saw for the first time. I just popped in and Joe Run was there. It was like old times. Nice, nice. I used to go into like Revolution Records, which is like, oh yeah, the one other like hip-hop, late 90s. Hip hop yeah. vinyl store. Well, it was more house music, but they had yeah. the raps. When Bastard used to work there, Scratch Bastard. Yeah, and, and I used to in Nick Nonsense. I think that was yeah. his store. Did he own it? Or yes, he started yeah. it. I bought a lot of records from them. Yeah, I shouted out Nick Nonsense on uh, on my last album. I'm like nobody is going to know who I'm talking about, but he ran like the record store that we bought all our rap. Yeah, absolutely. From. Jeez, I haven't seen him in years either. And Kaylee actually used to have a store. Kaylee, who directed, oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah with the Team Burger yeah. videos and stuff, and I what was his store? It was on Gottagen, just a small little spot, and was I bought. He brought Worm in Company Flow records. It was in Wormwoods. Yeah, in, yeah. I bought Company Flow, uh, J Treads. Yeah, the J Treads, twelve inch there, Juggernauts at the Juggernauts EP. Yeah, uh, yeah, they were only existed for a few. It was like a skate clothes store, like five of the best underground New York rap twelve inches. Yeah, the the record store though in Halifax. Was it Delroy, that place on Brenton Street? Do you remember? No, when? He used to bring in rap tapes when we were in junior high. Because uh, 
they sponsored the basement and was that soul to soul to soul that never went there yeah and i i got a few rap tapes from him and he because he would special order he had some connection that if you went there he would do it and dj critical rich would would mention it on the basement so i was like how you get how do you get these albums yeah because then i'd even ask because sometimes just back to the basement real quick He'd play tracks and never tell you what it was. Mm-hmm. It was like it was up to you to try and figure it out. And there were songs to this day that I've only found out recently. <laughs> like you know, I mean, there was some stuff like original flavor, and I was like, or mad flavor and, yeah. and original flavor. Yeah, both. Of them. Yeah, and it was like, who who is this? And then oh, you finally track it down. I yeah. mean, you'd always know like ultra magnetic MCs and stuff like that. But well, I remember he made a point when Doctor Octagon came out, which was a big. It's so weird to see, think of how compressed it is because Cool Keith had only like, like Ultimate Dead MCs had put out an album two years earlier, but it was the big return of Cool Keith on a whole different tip. And it was so important to underground rap that he was like, the only way that you're going to be able to get this is here's the phone number for Play D Record. Record. I ordered the next day. And yeah. he ordered it COD, yeah, right? Yeah. I did the exact same thing. And um, I was just reminded, of, well, yesterday I walked past Play D Record and I was like, holy, and then Today, I walked past some burger joint uh, on Bay Street, I think, that has this big neon sign um, that says, Tough Like a Ukulele, which is a Dr. Octagon yeah, line yeah. off of Earth People. Earth People, yeah. I'm like, what's going on? But that Dr. Octagon was like such an important record. I felt like that was the moment that rap opened up and uh, people just realized, oh, you can rap about anything. Yeah. It's easily in my top 10 of For all time. Sure. And like, well, it has surprisingly endured. Like, it's more well, automated beats are crazy. Yeah, it's like very much of its time. Even though it sounded like the future, it sounds like a 1996 vision of the future. But it was like this antecedent to this avant-garde moment in rap, which you know had good and bad outcomes. Um, like, I guess like every every wave of experimentation will have failed experiments or whatever. But just that discovery, like. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't have to reinvent the wheel, but there can be any number of wheels on this thing. Like they can be any shape. Um, That's a great way of putting it. And to your play to record thing, that mm. again back to what we were saying about how kids, you can get access to any music now. You you literally could not hear this record anywhere. Like <laughs> if you wanted to hear the whole record, you, yeah. you had to send away. Buy it on vinyl because it yeah. may not have even come. I don't think it came out on CD till like a bit later. When DreamWorks reissued it as yeah. Dr. Octagon Ecologist. Yeah. So I got the single of Earth People and and I said, and, and there's another cool key thing. And he's like, oh, yeah, I don't know what it is. And then they sent me. Um, was it the Big Willie? Yeah, th- there was. No, it was a bit later on. It was like a month later. I called them again. I was like, is there any new Cool Keith? Is there yeah. any new Master Ace? Like, I just say, <laughs> I had a list of guys. Yeah. I'd go down. Is there any, any new Master Ace? Any new Wu-Tang? Any new Cool Keith? Any yeah. new, uh, you know, Dell? What do you got? And he's like, oh, yeah, we got this, this, this. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll just, how much is that? Okay, and I have my paper route money. And that's, yeah. and then they'd send him like, COD, bam. And that's how I started my vinyl collection. Phone calls with checklists is such a part of like that era yeah. of, of <laughs> being involved in hip hop. Whether you're like, a crate digger, like if you're a DJ looking to be able to play out, if you're just a fan trying to have a collection, yeah. or also like producers that have like their breakbeat checklist and they just called record dealers and be like, you got this, you got this, you got this. And or they'd even like, we call each other and be like, uh, do you know what the drums are on this? And like, do you know 
who's rapping in this song. Yeah. They're like, why are all these kids from Halifax? <laughs> I guess they're just talking like some 11-year-old kid who wants <laughs> well, and once, once the new we- Cool Keith sex style album. Like, what is with this guy? <laughs> I got to check with the law. <laughs> well, that's how I, I got Want to Be a Star. That was the cool, yeah. Yeah. And, oh, it's just, yeah. And I don't think that was home. ever on the album. You ran away from home to be, to be a, a big, big star. star. I'm out here for you. Or maybe it's the B side that's not on the album. One of them uh, wasn't on the full rep- length. Keep it real, represent. Yeah. I think the A side and the B side. Yeah. Be. was... Want to be a big star, yeah. which I still have that vinyl. And then with that, uh, when you put it on the record, the the vinyl oh, it goes right through, through the, the body, through the bum, <laughs> pops out the bum uh, on the, the picture. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get that with an MP3. Ah, cool. He was so clever. He the, snuck that past the censors, <laughs> the underground rap censors. Yeah, um, not approved by the comics code. <laughs> <laughs> We didn't cover your first gig, though. We totally no, really. went. We went off on another tangent. A lot I of just want to bring that then, back. So your first gig was at. It was at the Kyber Club, immortalized uh, in song by uh, Joel Plaskett, and uh, not the gig. He didn't sing about our gig specifically, but I think it's applicable. Um, and I don't think there was any opening act. Like I think it was just us because we didn't. Like we barely. We were seventeen or something. Like we barely could go to shows. But the, the Kyber would, in those days, sneak you in. Kyberwood, Tribeca, or Mocha when it was Cafe yeah. Mocha. Yeah, not a lot of carting going on no. uh, in those places at that time. Um, and Bike Shop. Yeah, which is a cafe, basically just a cafe. Did they even have a license? I'm not sure, but that's when I remember seeing you perform. Mm-hmm. And we were still teenagers. And so what was really great about our first first Of course, Cafe Olay. At, right. That's where I had my first gig. But Sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't make it in time. No. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we had we had this cassette tape, and we didn't have like any way to play our instrumentals except the four track recording of the album. I just turned the vocal recordings and the scratches down, and played the beats off of the four track in the order of the album, interludes and all. And we just sort of had to like wait between songs, and like oh god, it must have been so bad. Obviously, like thinking back, um, yeah, I remember playing Cafe Olay playing off a tape and i didn't know how to do it just let the <laughs> tape play the beat and we didn't we have just a dj go. yeah like we all had just started our record collections like we had a few rap albums and it's crazy how far it's come from that to you know someone getting gear that you could play off a cd yeah play your beats off cd to playing lap well actually before the laptop thing there was mini mini disc was yeah. so popular the mini disc the thing 90s, was big and dats i remember mm. like six two had a whole bunch of the dats yeah that's where the beats were on I would rent a DAT machine to mix down my four-track cassettes so that I could have a DAT cassette to take to the duplicator, uh, put it on CD in like Dartmouth, uh, and they would make the cassette tapes to sell. And your first beats were you were those on Impulse Tracker as well, or they were? Yeah, an Impulse Tracker. Explain was, Impulse Tracker too. To it's uh, it's software that was popular among uh, like coders and hackers and like people who really knew how to take apart computer on a molecular level and uh they would use it to make these how can i make this really simple like midi just records note information and how it sounds when it plays back depends on what kind of a synthesizer it's being played through samples um were used on a note by note basis to have programmed music so it was a small file size before mp3s and before high speed transfers you would record the note data and send a one-note sample to people along with the data, and that note would be played according to your program. And you would have like 
a couple of drum hits. So it was a way of transferring individual sounds that would always sound the same when they were played back, not depending on the hardware they were played through. And I found um, as memory, as people were able to sort of hack these things to make use of more uh, active memory, you could use longer and longer samples to the point where like, uh, you know, like a digital sampler they would have in a studio, I could use like a bar from a song or two bars from a song, take bars from a few different songs and layer them. And it had this distinctive, like crunchy audio quality because it wasn't supposed to be used for this, but it gave me very fine control over my sample. So I was trying to learn just strictly by ear, imitate the people who made the music that I loved. And it would be, you know, you know, the obvious ones like Pete Rock and RZA in those days. And, uh, you know, all the jazz samples you'd hear on, on the greats of the early two of the early nineties. And, uh, and, you know, I'd go through my parents' record collection, try to find bits and pieces I could use. And early, early on, I didn't even know you weren't supposed to sample rap. So I'd be like, oh, these drums are great. And uh, had some embarrassing moments, like not, uh, not finding my own stuff. Uh, and Impulse Tracker was really good for really finely chopping things up and making new music out of pieces of other things. And I used that from the mid-90s straight to the mid-2000s when all of a sudden... Like Windows and stuff couldn't run the old software. Mm -hmm. uh, you couldn't allocate memory in the same way. And um, so I was completely adrift. Like I lost my rudder, <laughs> like the way that I was you able to make You made so many before. crazy beats. I mean, I rapped on a few of them. Mm -hmm. There's some on like my first album, like your album. I remember when I first heard the Sentinels tape, That's I was really impressed with the beats. There's still beats to that day, to, to this day, <laughs> that I remember from that day. I'm like, wow, these these beats are really good. And that's me and Ginzu both using Impulse Tracker, and it's yeah. It was always funny to me. Uh, I don't want to put him on blast or anything, but like when I actually saw his programs on the screen, I was like, oh my God, he doesn't know what he's doing. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> There's no way that's going to sound good. You should never like layer all the same sound a bunch of times. You should never pan this all the way over there. And then when you heard it, it was like, it's so much better than mine. Like he was somehow he was even was more yeah yeah. Um, just like a mad scientist of it, like making it work so much better than I could trying to follow the rules. Well, that's the thing, and that's you make, especially back then when there was no information. I didn't know yeah. how. I didn't even know how beats were made. <laughs> you get a drum machine, or you get a four track. I don't yeah. know what you do. You hear the and, words, and yeah, then... and you put things together. I remember the back of the Source magazine. Oh, you buy this MPC <laughs> or buy this buy these turntables. I thought if I get like real DJ turntables, mm. then I can make beats with a mixer. Right. I remember I got a bad mixer from Radio Shack. And was it a pyramid? Was it the nineteen inch pyramid? No, it was. I forget what the name of it was. It was just like brown and black, and it was just. I actually my first one was really bad. I got it at a yard sale just randomly. Like some college guy was like dumping a bunch of stuff, and I think yeah. I paid like twenty bucks for it. I was like, oh, I can finally do it. But I was making pause button loops, yeah, with like re, you know, just re trying to like time it in my head perfectly. When and you, when do you think we learned the phrase pause button loops? Like that's definitely an idea that somebody pumped out into the zeitgeist way after we were all doing it. Because we were taping so much. Yeah, that's what you do. We all figured out how to make little loops independently. Like, we didn't go to each other's houses and do it necessarily. And then, like, somebody mentions, like, in an interview or something, and we make these pause tapes. We're like, yo, pause tapes. We make pause that's tapes. That's what it was. And for people listening, what what I would do anyways, I, everyone, I'm sure, had different styles. Yeah. I had a, it was a component tape deck. 
that I would run a CD player and a turntable into, mm-hmm. and I would find something I'd want to sample off of the record or CD player. Uh, the records were easier to bring back to that right spot once I could mark exactly yeah. where the loop was, and then I'd play that couple seconds of the the song on the record, and I'd have play and record held down, and then the pause button, and then you hit pause. Like on the beat, you have to like let yeah. it go at the one, and then let bring it, it back, and then down bring it the, back, and yeah. you just, and then you have to bring the thing back and do it again, and it was monotonous. And I would sit there; you'd sit there for hours trying to make <laughs> get this beat yeah, down long enough for to three minutes. <laughs> yeah, and I wish you know I, I I've got to go back and dig through some of my boxes of old tapes because I know I have there's some beats on there where I sampled stuff, and I remember thinking this is amazing. I'd love to to go dig that up again, make it into a beat today. Yeah, more. and then I got a CD player that I could time out. The set where it like actually it was digital. It would say right. the second, oh, so you. then I would know, <laughs> and then I could sample stuff off of CDs, yeah. but only to tape. <laughs> and, and then that's yeah, that was that was my early days of beat making. Which you Look know you these now. days I barely make. I don't make beats for any you know public consumption. But it's good to have that background at least, yeah. so you can like interact with people who are like for all audio stuff. Like I have a background in making beats. I don't. I can't mix, you know? I don't have an ear for mm-hmm. it. I don't have a good grasp of the science of mixing. It's probably I could acquire, but I also do know people who who know what they're doing. I have enough that I can talk to them about it. Yeah. And like you have a background in beats, so you can talk to the people you're collaborating with. It's so much better than like rappers who can't talk about it at all. Like, make this one more slamming. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. We, we, work, we work in Pro Tools or Logic, and, mm. and you know, you know, I understand that. With... With Backburner, just because we did touch on this briefly, I want to make sure we get to it, though. The start of Backburner, mm-hmm. just when the crew was just sort of forming. You and I knew each other, and then when I was ready, I was like, I need to record. And you said, well, come to, the, come to this guy's place, Kills. Mm-hmm. But, so you knew them. Big Talk was had already happened. Like That stuff was going on. Right. And so with Big Talk, and like Thesis was hanging out, and we were talking about it. What with the Big Talk album, which was basically the first backburner group album, yeah. Where did you come in, and how did you meet these guys, and how did it all come together? Like, Those, do you remember meeting? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it was already in progress when I met them. Like, I think the first nucleus, um, or I guess how much it was established by the time I showed up was Fresh Kills, Uncle Fester, Dexter Doolittle, Process. Um, Frank Deluxe, um, am I missing some? Oh, Jab of the Cut and DJ Beef. Like, they were in some formation, and Thesis has sort of linked with them. And they, I, I don't know if they were actively looking for like more people that were kind of on their level, like, you know, just starting out, barely having a name, like maybe with like one tape or a production credit. I had done two beats for Josh Martinez by then, and the Sentinels tape had just, even if they didn't buy it, they just saw it in the bin or something. Um, so like at a show, and all the same people were at the Halifax rap shows. We were fanatical. We're all basement listeners. And I think that like Fester and Kills, like as a unit, sort of like came up to me at a show and they're like, You're Jesse Dangerously, right? You rap, right? Uh well we've got we've just we've got a pretty good studio coming together. This guy's house. Um sometimes you come by. And they would have social gatherings. Like the mo- there was always some kind of a party going on there because it was student housing. There were like four other people, and they were all in bands. And uh, and as you mentioned on the other show, one of them was like Pete Diamond, who's done so much illustration for Backburner. Right. Um, you know, my good buddy Nick, who didn't really go on to music, but he's done collaborated with me a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so it was 
it was nice to finally, it was my first time having like a hip hop community because I've been on the periphery and I had like my one close friend, Ginzu, who like, we were like rap twins. But I'd had so little just like being in a room full of people who all would like to have rap playing and who would all like to talk about like what's in the liner notes and like what break beats are what. And um, it was so exciting. And plus, you know, producers who were better than me. Mm -hmm. I hadn't really gotten a chance to hang out with. Uh, and that's not saying much. Like, I was learning. I was very nascent in my skills. Um, but, you know, people who were just more established, who I could learn from. And, uh, you know, and rappers who had different backgrounds and different ideas, so, like, immediately bringing new influences to me. It was, it was, for me, it was a personal renaissance to meet Backburner and uh, share all these perspectives. And just... There were so many different perspectives on hip hop coming together, um, but the same amount of enthusiasm. Every person was at eleven out of ten for enthusiasm, and uh, you know we had passionate disagreements as much as passionate agreements, um, which I also <laughs> loved. Like just being still the same hasn't changed much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you get any group of people together, no one's going to be on the same page. Right, I mean, but like you, know. you don't always have a fight about whether Q-Tip's freestyling on the Beastie Boys record. <laughs> They were so mad. <laughs> um, so they had a lot of stuff already happening. They had a few posse cuts down. Um, there was like, out of like maybe four posse cuts on the Big Talk album, two came together after uh, Ginzu and I were hanging out. And so like during the time that that compilation was coming together, um, I was re-recording some of the stuff I've been working on solo um, for an unknown second album. On my four track, I was re-recording that with Kilgore and uh, getting it to sound a bit better, getting like Fester to put scratches on instead of my terrible scratches. And uh, and so, and we, and I had people to play shows with. Like we would book shows as a group and... Um, were you, you know, guys build as Backburner or just sort of everybody's? Everybody, we were... Backburner, the name didn't come until right before Big Talk came out. We didn't really have a name for what we were doing. And Johnny Hardcore came in through Frank Deluxe with the verbals yeah, and everything. From Newfoundland. And Man Alive and... Lo-Fi, Lo a.k.a. Sh Melvin. They had a, went through a lot of different names. Everybody had their Wu-Tang Clan phase where they had five different names for themselves. Yeah, I mean, that's it. You know, I went through a bunch of different names and we all, you know... Yeah, you know, and you, your Word Burglar was not your name when you made the Word Burglar song. No. It was just like an idea for a character you had. It was like the song and it just... That was the name that stuck Basically and everyone remembered. Yeah, yeah, it sticks. Yeah. And, uh, and it worked for you. Like, you. I guess you could have been like, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I loved it. I loved the name. And, the, you know, that sort of, that was, when I did that song, that was the track that it was, okay, my style is finally starting to come together on my own. Because right. I'd been making stuff in a group with the dregs and we were just very lo-fi, just we'd freestyle. For fun. We'd hang out yeah. like at my place or you know, with Tom T's place or just anywhere we were, we'd just be rapping. We'd be rapping, you know, high school and just junior high. And we were just always doing it. And, oh, someone can record us? Great. We'll just yeah. do it. We'll just record this. And eventually we had enough tracks. I was like, hey, guys, we got all these freestyle tracks and all these things. So the early Dregs tapes that we put out, yeah. I think there was maybe three that came out. They're half freestyle tapes of us like, hanging around freestyling. It came out in the sense of like dubbed at home and passed around at school, right? Did yeah, we were selling them? them for five bucks. Oh, I, think, I love it. I yeah. love the entrepreneurship. Yeah, I think the second tape we were selling and people, and then we would like, because the first one, one, there was only like three or four copies. 
and then people just started dubbing it. Yeah. And then more and more people would come to me and, you know, I had a letter published in the source. And so, so other kids <laughs> at my high school were like, yo, is that you who wrote that letter in the source? Yeah. I was like, yeah, that's me, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, that sort of opened some doors. Like, I remember being at the cafeteria. And I mean, I, I was on the football team and like, there, I played with some guys who like, they were rapping and like, we all kind of, we play rap for each other and mm-hmm. like, you know, learn about new artists. I, I taped so much stuff off friends. More than, man, that community, that feeling of like loving something. I have way more, my, my hip hop history is not really a performer. Like, I'm so lucky that I've been able to perform and like do things for myself and enjoy myself making music and like connect with people. But loving it is way more what my history with rap is. Like, having that enthusiasm and the excitement of like, Looking into it, you know, investigating it. Well, I get it every every time I hear a new track that I love. I mean, I I love that Prime record with oh, yeah, Premiere and Royce of Five Nine. It's crazy. Like this is, yeah, I, it's a I great feel record. like in around now is when I'm finally learning to appreciate all the stuff I was too good for in the '90s. Like all like because there was such a schism between like oh, I'm an underground rap fan, so I have to hate anything that's fun, anything that anybody dances in. Anything with shiny. If Mary suits. J. Blige is singing on it, yeah. I don't want to hear oh, it. Oh, R and B. R and B was the enemy. Now all I listen to is Beyonce, but like back then it was like a singing on the hook. <laughs> Doesn't sound like hip hop to me. Yeah. Um But taking it back to rap again, there's a, a big part when I think about you and your early rap days, we can't not mention MP3.com. Oh, I was a I was a captain of industry. You were I, you were the first rapper I knew on the internet. It was shortly before Napster, I think, yep. mp3.com started. Since it was like the only sort of avenue, and it wasn't, the gatekeeping was really wide open. Um, there was just like minor issues of quality they would watch for. And also they didn't want you to be using samples, but it was very easy to just lie. Um, in fact, I got sort of caught by something that sort of obviously was sampled, even though they didn't know what it was from. And I got like a personal email from a person saying, it sounds a lot like a sample. And you clicked the thing that says you own all the copyright. I was like, yeah, I actually got my high school band to play it. And I just recorded them. And I, and I, I used like effects to make it sound like a sample. I just totally lied. The same as like, you know, the bomb squad saying they sampled uh, a tea kettle whistle instead of James Brown because they, they couldn't pay the royalties. Um, I was just like, this is the only way to get my music out here. I can't be honest about whether I'm sampling. Uh, and I get, we would get, so I, that's know, when it started. That's when the, that's <laughs> when the lying began. <laughs> but, uh, the, we got, we got thousands of listens. We would rack up tens of thousands of listens mm-hmm. because there wasn't that much else to do with a small town. And then you went on to do an MP3 rap competition <laughs> that like Chuck D was, he was on promoting, the adjudicating it. What yeah. was that about? I voted for you. I'm, well, that, that, you got me up in the top six, buddy. Um, there was, that was yeah, rapstation.com, which Chuck Rap is still affiliated with. Does that um, still exist? Uh, yes, it still exists. It's like you know, on internet radio. Okay. Like, Moni Love is doing stuff on there. Um, they, uh, public and Chuck D was always really, really pro Napster. He's like, the music should be free to the people. Stark contrast to like you know, Metallica, who was like, the food music should be expensive. And um, so when all when there were lawsuits going against Napster and Napster users, um, Rap Station officially was like, "We're in the corner sharing music." Always like we we always sampled and lied. <laughs> so like um, 
we're going to have a competition. And all you rappers out there, take this segment of the new Public Enemy single beat and rap for this amount of time. And we're going to uh, have open judging and then a panel will judge the, the top you know, six, I think, were the, um, the last few. And um, there were over 200, we're close to 300 maybe entries. And I remember, I guess mostly I only remember who the top six were now. Um, I listened to every single one of them going like, I'm better than that, I'm better than that, come on, I'm better than that. No, the cops aren't watching you like Tupac because you download, that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> was that one of the that, songs? That was like half of the song. The cops like, are watching you because you download. Well, basically, yeah. Well, cause it, and when, what, what, what was this, 2002, 2000? Well, before, before. Uh, it was 2000 at the latest, it was 99 or 2000. Wow. And Dang. like, I felt like I was one of the few people who was trying to rap earnestly instead of being somebody who's like, it would be fun. I'm white and I'm rapping. Isn't that weird? And it's about computers or somebody who was just like, had this fantasy of like violence that they projected from what they thought rap should be like. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, I've always been very arrogant. I'm sure lots of people were just the same amount of sincere as I was, but uh, tone deaf had an entry that was way better than my entry. And the winning entry was by this guy, Benefit, who used to do like Super Mario Brothers right, way before there was Nerdcore. That's who did it. Yeah. And his was so good. I didn't even, like, I, it was so hard for me to admit this, but as soon as I heard it, I was like, this is the winner. Like, it was like Nas-level, uh, intricately arranged wordplay and, and rhyme schemes. And like, um, I just can't overemphasize <laughs> how much better than what I did was that he did. And he won, and he won like $5,000 from Chuck D, uh, and then promptly just disappeared completely, as far as I know. He, he never put out an album. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's always possible to get lost in the shuffle. Like, maybe he put out an album, I should have heard it. Maybe it's all just Benefit. as good as that song. Yeah. Um, but like, and those Mario songs he did, it's so funny, because later I was involved in Nerdcore, but like, I was like, I love video games, and I love rap, but let's not make a joke out of this right like yeah i was like let's take this seriously um maybe maybe a little bit too much so yeah but you always inject a lot of fun into your into your rhymes i mean you get serious <laughs> too i mean you're kind of I try, I try to be fun but i i'm not i don't think i have funny raps really like it's so few and far between where i think i say something that i would laugh at and but it's a wink. I mean, that's what punchlines always are. I mean, you know me. I mean, that's what I love. And right. I mean, I just but you're so funny. <laughs> well, thanks. Have anybody ever have anybody ever told you? <laughs> I just like you know, and to, it's what you're saying. You write. I mean, I write what I think is funny to mm. me. So I've I've always written songs to entertain myself. Like that's kind of how I started. It was entertain myself and my friends. Yeah. And that's basically still what I do. Yeah. And I love the craft of writing. Obviously. You know, we don't need to get into that. We're both very literal. This isn't about me, Jesse. <laughs> Even though it's my podcast where I talk. <laughs> this isn't about me. Now, do what I say. <laughs> Internet competition. And I, I remember listening to some of the others that were terrible. Yours was, yeah, yeah. I remember at the time thinking, Jesse's, it was very, you know, very shoddily recorded. And what happened to you? <laughs> so since then, you put out, I've got here. Now, this was a recent thing. I just wanted to show you the humble and brilliant. I believe this is the first edition of the chapbook. Is that what you would call this? Yeah, wow. I haven't actually seen the, a, a version this scrappy in a long time. This was, I believe... Special South by Southwest edition. The South by the Southwest. First yeah. So first printing. 
and you did this because your book wasn't ready. So did you run to like a Kinko's and have to photocopy these? Um, well, not- for the for the audience, this is basically a. It looks like a photocopied. Yeah, it's a, a high color quality stuff. color photocopy printing of what would become a nice bound chapbook. Yeah, it's a. I guess that version seems to be it's about like fifty pages, draft. and uh, it wound up being about seventy four pages by the time I had a, a good version that was officially. So I don't have produced. the full one. You don't. You're have telling to, me this is the only one I have. The spine. No, I got the. I'm the guy. I'm like yo. I got the first edition. I don't need anything else. <laughs> I don't need the criterion. You need, you need one <laughs> to bag and board and keep safe, and one one to actually. Okay, read. well, we need to remedy that. Yeah, I have to hook you up. But um, something's written in the back. Oh, it's a download code from Jesse Dangerously. Put that to use someday. <laughs> read it out on the air in the first person. <laughs> first person to download at dangerously.bandcamp.com/slash/yum. Download code EBMC-WP3H. I don't know if I use that because I have this album. You have it, of course. I have the album. Let's so find out. There you go. Free Give album shot, if it still works. And if not, just buy it from Jesse. <laughs> Jeez, let the guy, you know. Let me live. Give him some money. Let him buy some lunch or something. But Jeez. this fits in with the with our whole discussion earlier of my, uh, my, my high-maintenance nature where um, I... I didn't have time to print it, and I was—I couldn't really carry a bunch of copies of a book over uh, the border to go to Texas. So I sent the PDF file to a Kinko's in Austin, and it wound up being more or less who went to go pick them up for me. And I don't think they were folded or stapled or anything. And I had to like—I was sitting at the South by Southwest showcase with these fifty-page booklets of my lyrics yeah, for this album. That. With uh and stapling them and folding them and like trying to get them together and like hand. Where'd you get the stapler? Did like Les steal the stapler from Kinko's? Yeah. <laughs> Les has resources. <laughs> Les is always prepared. He opens up the suitcase. Oh, you need a stapler. You just need a staple his, remover. Whatever you need. Does the doctor have a handbag like Felix the cat? Am I just <laughs> combining them or just in the TARDIS? There might be a a stapler. Les is the is the thirteenth yeah. Doctor Who. I would like to see that. I'd vote for that. Let's do this. Let's get this Kickstarter going. <laughs> um, but yeah, so actually I had my friends have to go pick that up for me because I was getting in right when the show was going to start. It was when my flight was coming in. There's no time for me to take care of myself and like feed me, cut up my own steak to eat it. Um, you have to go pick up my books for me. And my friends have always been very generous and kind in that respect. Yeah, somehow we just, you know... Can't break me. those bonds. I mean, we, you know, we go. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried. <laughs> I just. Oh, Jesse. So you, what was your last official album to come out? Uh, Humble and Brilliant. Humble and Brilliant. One. And like that, like the book version was 2011. I did the vinyl in 2013. I've been working on an album sort of since then. What are the plans for that? It has been largely produced by uh, Corbo of Dream Jefferson. Uh, who all their albums are free online. Dream Jefferson, 32X. Is yeah, the those guys one. are cool. They blow my mind. Yeah, Owl they're Five awesome. And Corbo rapping. Yeah. A lot of good artists in that group. Um, the, I think the idea of the album has expanded since I started doing it that way. And there's going to be a few other producers, like songs that I was going to do. I had all these dumb ideas. Sean, I've been burying myself in unfinished albums as long as you've known yeah, me. I've, yeah, forever. In the last decade, I've started and not finished like 11 or 12 albums. And like there's songs from those that I just don't want them to go away. So a few of those that fit with the feel are going to wind up on the new album. And almost everything else, I'm just I'm putting them out online 
for basically free. Yeah, like you've been trickling year. out some tracks. In the last I've been trickling year them out, and I'm gonna I'm r- r- uh, cranking it up. I started a Patreon account, um, and uh, and people are sort of signing up. And you don't have to people don't have to sign up to get the music, um, it, but it's a way to like sort of support an artist who's putting things out for free. Like webcomic artists use it, YouTube channel types use it, and a few musicians. It was started by like the Pomplamoose guy. And so people are like subscribing. So every time I put out a song, which I'm going to try to do four times a month in 2015, finish a song, get it out there, and everybody can just go get it. Like, I got to get it out. Now. You have to get it out, and, and you need to do it. And yeah. do you think you would have more music out if you spent less time on the internet? Oh, absolutely. And I've tried to... <laughs> it's, 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 I mean, it's something that everybody has to find a balance with uh, these days. Um, people with uh, like ADHD and different types of like, you know, attention issues can get hyper focused on stuff. And like, so I've tried to like create situations that prevent me from getting into. Like, I deleted. I keep deleting my Facebook. Like every two years, I delete it for almost a year. Um, and I try to get out of it. And then I miss people. I feel like I'm missing out on stuff, or I just get bored, and uh, and I'm back in it. I've like the. There's so much potential for benefit, and there's so much actual benefit that's part of it. The rapper benefit? <laughs> God, love him. Um, from, from social media, and, you know, and it's a linchpin of what remains in connecting with fans as like traditional media uh, falls by the wayside. You know, if I'm not on a radio show or in a, uh, a, a magazine or something, then I just have to like tweet at people and hope they find out about me, stuff like that. Well, people want to know. And that's right. one. Th- that's something. It's oh, someone actually does want to know when the new Jesse project coming out. When your next show to, is. I want to talk to that. And you being, I mean, you're a, you're very involved in a lot of social issues and politics and things and things. I think that are that are very important to a lot of people. And that again, there's another that adds a whole other level to engaging or, or, yeah. or disengaging. But of course, that, it adds one of those difficult lines to hold, which is like. It's not like I have so many opinions and emotions about things that are going on in the world. I'm not necessarily helping them when I focus on them for you know eight hours in a day on the internet. Like, but I'm like a commentator and I'm an artist and like I have a role. And I think I neglect the role of artist in favor of this role of um, just fighting with people online. Uh, which nobody's that excited for me to be doing. Like, I don't have like a like clamoring fan. Like, people aren't signing up to the Jesse Dangerously Internet Anger uh, Facebook page. Uh, they they the rap that I think, and that's where I need to put those yeah. feelings and those ideas. I don't need to shout them at some jerk. That jerk doesn't care. Yeah, I I I need to chill. I need to chill more online, and I need to do the things that I'm good at and that help people. That I you know that I actually have a facility with. Well, and you know what would help people like me? What's that? Hearing more Jesse Dangerously music. Well, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. That's how I I'm like, Jesse, just put out more music. Can just, we just subtitle Can you just this? shut up on the computer <laughs> for a minute? Let your mouth do the talking. Yeah. But it is good. It's, uh, standing up for what you believe in is important. And I think that's, that's great that you do it. Whatever. It's just a matter of doing yeah. it in a way that. And helping actually, people. What? You just want to help people and stand up for, you know. Thanks. Thanks for putting me in such a positive light. 
Jesse, <laughs> the reason you fucking flip on strangers constantly <laughs> I is don't your even sweet know. nature. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, yo, I have so many I have so many lifelong enemies who became lifelong friends once we encountered each other in person off the internet. And that that's got to like teach me like, oh, maybe talk to people differently online if you would be friends and get along and you're not. Like, well, I've been on tour in different cities and different countries and someone's said yeah you know jesse what was this about this is like i have no idea what that is but i do know jesse and i bet if he was here right now you know you guys would figure it out really quick i just want you i just want you if that ever comes up just give the most outlandish explanation it's like oh jesse's actually killed many times and the only way that he can get that anger out now but I remember for a while, I was like, I should get a shirt that's like, the views of Jesse Dangerously do not in any way represent Word Burglar. <laughs> we can jointly sell that shirt. Yeah. Let's get that out there. Because <laughs> I think in a lot of ways, we're, we're very similar and, and, and what we love about music and everything. But obviously, we're very different people yeah, and different, different and everything different. It's just the different humans. This is the world. More of a DC guy. <laughs> Actually, more, you know. No. I know, I just... I don't want to take the DC. Oh, poor DC. Poor DC comics. What are they going to do? I'm trying to figure out, maybe a lot of people are in this position in 2015. Like, do I want to continue, do I want to use Comixology and buy books online, or do I want to make sure that I have something to hold in my hand? Because I really prefer having the trades, you know? I like, it's the same with music. I want something physical, but my life is so cluttered. I like having MP3s. I like having vinyl. Yeah. So, what is the Serato of you comic love, books? Well, there's tablets. You can draw on a tablet. Oh, yeah, for making. That's true. Yeah, for creative, the creative art. For the creation of it. It's, I have My iPad has taken over a lot of aspects of my life, and I'm trying to figure out whether the literary aspects of my life belong on there. Certainly being on tour. Yeah. As opposed to carrying a bag of books with Which, you. Okay, I got to <laughs> tell people, Sean Jordan, the word burglar, will bring bags of comic books on tour. <laughs> um, actually, the big tour with MC Chris and... Uh, and um, Dr. Awkward and Tribe One, we bought so much comic books. That was like, that, that got me kickstarted back into like buying comics with just like every city we went to. If we had time before Soundcheck, um, and between like trying to eat something and go to Soundcheck, it's like, what's the local comic shop? I want to do that tour. I'd like, yeah, I want to do that comic. Next time, do it. Just throw <laughs> Word Burglar in. Look, I'll bring my comics. You don't have to buy them. <laughs> just don't bend the cover back. That's a, yeah, while don't driving, you got to be real careful. <laughs> <laughs> you might crash and crinkle your comic. Do you do you think your listeners know that you used to rap in costume? That Word Burglar <laughs> was not just a name, but an entire persona at the beginning of your public career, that there was a jailbird costume, the black and white stripe. Did you have the little pillbox hat? No, no you had, but you had, had a, a domino mask. mask. Yeah, I, yeah, I picked up the costume used at Alley's on Barrington Street. Nice. And it was for the CD release of my first solo album. Was it sort of a, uh, it was it a feeling like when Spider-Man first puts on like the symbiote suit? It's like, this fits almost too well. Like it was made for me in mind. And then like it took over a little bit. Like, was it really the suit performing at those early shows? Well, I just thought, you know, those were my early shows, and I remember thinking I wanted to make it an event. I and wanted to make it, it a big deal, and I mean, every I approach every show like that, but really, especially when I was just starting, I, mean, I was like 20 or something, and right. it was like, I wanted, it was like a rap show I kind of wanted to go to. You know, you hear those stories about when Wu-Tang started, and they all mm. came out on stage dressed in like, 
as ninjas, right? right? They were in all black and they had the face masks well, from 36 it's Chambers. Sta- it's a stage show. Yeah. Like, give, like have wardrobe. Yeah. That makes great sense. It's a hassle. Like I've very rarely like had a special outfit for on stage, but like I love that there was a costume. I mean, you know, we've, we've talked about this, but yeah, I did used to wear this, the burglar costume, but it was only, I only thought, well, I'll do it, you know, for this one show. Mm-hmm. Then people talked about, it. they're like, you came out, came out this costume. And I did a release show in Toronto. I was like, you're going to wear the costume? Yeah, I'll wear the costume. And I remember getting like <laughs> screw-faced hard. Like guys like, oh, I remember one guy was like, this is why, you know, this hip-hop's whack now, blah, blah. <laughs> All and, these burglar costumes. But man, people got hyped. Like yeah. when I walked out in that and just got it, and I loved doing it. But then also at the same time, it was like, well, this isn't me. And that's why I just yeah. was like, you know, put it it's away. It's not the whole story. It's not the whole story. It's like I was, I want people to listen to the music, obviously, and listen yeah. to the rhymes and the lyrics. And that's that's where that focus is. But definitely, I mean, I had a blast doing it. And when yeah. people get psyched, if you get up in front of a room full of drunk people and the guys <laughs> in a burglar costume, but then the rap is crazy, then yeah, you're exactly. like, and again, like you're saying, you didn't know when you were putting out a tape. You're just, I'm just going to do this. And mm-hmm. that was just, I was like, what can I add? Yeah. And how can I how can I make this more fun? And I just want to give, Jesse. Yeah, and we find you know we find other ways to give, like as it yeah. goes on, like. <laughs> um, but yeah, when you're first starting out as a performer, it's it's nice to have a bit of a crutch or like a uh, not a crutch, but like you know something that to fixate on, so that um, you can pour yourself into like through this this character or this vessel or the specific thing. You don't have like it's not like the gimmick isn't instead of being good, yeah. but it like it lets you like get comfortable with just being good, and eventually you can just well okay, it's just me. I love it. I mean, you know, you never know. I might break it out again sometime. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, when, how close are we to the 20th anniversary? 20th anniversary. <laughs> it's like 10th anniversary. Like uh, Mason and I are working on some 10th anniversary plans. It's past 10th anniversary. It's more than 10th. Well, that was 2013, I think. Was 20, or like yeah, 2013 would have been the, the, 10th. The, the 10th anniversary. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So. There's stuff coming. There's stuff coming. We're working on some things, but that's great. Non-costume related, but uh, <laughs> I you well, know. just see if it still fits. You know, hey man, never say never. I never, you, you never know what's gonna happen. It could just be. Well, obviously, when you're on like the Vegas circuit or whatever, they're gonna be like, "Where the costume? <laughs> <Boo>! <laughs> Put the costume." And you're like, "I'm not wearing." I said I was never going to wear it again. Put on the costume and dance, burglar. <laughs> You had the sandal thing for a while. <laughs> I, I I feel like that was the Jesse Dangerously costume. Oh Sandals. Sandal steez. I could never look back at that. I you know, but here's the thing. In those days when I wore the sandals year round, I had the most beautiful toes. <laughs> but like the toes, you know, you just get to a certain age. My toes ain't got it like that anymore. I gotta gotta, you know, keep them for private. And uh but yeah, those revealing sandal days, that was it was not an intentional branding thing. I didn't really realize that, like, not cool <laughs> to wear sandals for five years in a row with no. Uh, my, my sandal tan still has yet to completely go away after like five, six years. Wow. So that's another maybe concerning issue in the whole. Sh- <laughs> I'm not into it. Oh, Sam, man. When you bring the burglar costume back, I'll put the sandals back on. We'll do like it. The time. reunion. I got to grow my pigtails the back reunion. out. Yeah, you had the pigtails, mm-hmm. you had the braids, you had all those the <laughs> styles, I remember. Uh, I remember uh, I still had the pigtails when Johnny Hardcore joined Backburner, and like it took him a while, it took us a while to warm up to each other, and we got along famously eventually, but like he was like, 
I finally, I finally figured out the pigtail thing. I thought it was whack at first, but it's kind of like Buster Rhymes. I'm into it. <laughs> I don't think he said I'm into it. That was probably just an invention. Man, you do your own style, and that's what that's what it's about, and that's what we all do, and yeah. we're all trying to find. And some people can figure it out earlier, and some people figure it out later. Some people, you know, maybe never figure it out. We stay, we stay searching. Jesse D, that's what we want to hear. I'm looking forward to, to this marathon of Jesse D tracks coming out this year. Well, I gotta get them out. So I'm already late, so I gotta get some out. Well, like, get right out of here, man. I know it's a weekend. <laughs> We're just chilling. You're eating all my Skittles and all my cola. Are these just left from Halloween, these little baby Skittles? It's always Halloween at the burger. <laughs> <laughs> Trick or treat, Jesse. You should see the outfit he's got on. It's outlandish. <laughs> Man, thanks for coming by, homie. It's so, so good to, to see you. Yeah. We're going to do this again. We'll come back. We'll check back in with you when the new stuff drops. And Thank you for having I, me on your first five-hour edition of the, Weekend at <laughs> <laughs> It's a beautiful, beautiful beast. It's just like you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stop that. I love you, Sean. Oh, man. Love you, too, bro. Yeah. All right. Peace. Peace. Shucks, you can buy my record for a soft buck and take it to your gathering. Hard lucks to prove that you and your friends are not ducks. Since the burn, I got the city locked up, drunk on power like rockers. While your records leave the people nonplussed, you know why you're not dope, you're not us. We're giving suckers to heave like shot put. Even if they got the latest hot cut, you didn't think we had it in us. You thought what? You're judging by the package, not the product. Underselling us, let's get you. Spot rushed, keep your eyes front and your jaw hushed Believe me when I tell you that your squad sucks You know it in your cars and guts Now watch us and no choke on the sawdust The burn is in the building 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 Come stand in the shine of the burner to get a suntan You better but find a tie, you choose us one hand Don't tell me that your stagnancy was unplanned There's someone like a bullet like you shun fans You're underhanded like a hundred grand Wadded in a rubber band is Uncle Sam got him brandished I'm on the run like one on bandits in a gunfight I switch it up like Malachite and Kunzite My favorite song by Alpha Flight is Sunlight My people doing shit I know it's done right Even if the fourth would give us one mic That's all I need like not to feed my gods With a dollar tree like gods Me Tchaikovsky You try to keep light off me Meet my posse beneath the street That's Never give up.
just rapping It's just distracting us from what's happening Oh, shuck Oh, shuck Oh, shuck Oh, shuck, folks, I'm speechless uh, of the Modern Superior Media Network.